Good to see everybody today. You look great. Good to see you guys again. <laughs> and uh, hey, don't forget, Wednesday night, we're, we're really having a great time. We're under something called Bible Discovery Night. We're in our third week of Ephesians. Someone asked me, well, if I miss the first week, can I not come? Because I'm, I'm not. Yes, you can come. And uh, we had a good group here Wednesday night, but, but there's room for some more of you. And I don't know, is uh, Zilda Aruda, are you here, Zilda? Zelda, uh, Zelda, uh, this is not in, uh, scripted. Come up here right quick. I want everybody to see who you are. And, um, because Zelda Aruda is our Portuguese, so she's Brazilian, but she's doing the same lesson I'm doing in Portuguese. So I want everybody to know who Zelda is. And um, if you would like to, um, uh, you, you'd like to, maybe you want to learn Portuguese. So it's a good way to go to the class and learn Portuguese. I, I should go. Zelda, come up here and stand so everybody can see who you are, and uh, just say hi to everybody in, in Portuguese. Oi. Say, what? Oi. Oi. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, so, Pastor. Right in that classroom, right in there. Now, Wednesday night, we're going to be in a little different location in the building, because the youth are going to be in here, so uh, my class is going to be up at the other end, but you'll find us. We'll, we'll have someone in the lobby to give you directions, so we're really, really excited about that. Um, I want to get into the message today, and just one thing I want to say, and maybe I don't need to say it, and, but I, I feel I should say it, because with things happening in the world today, especially in the Middle East, um, maybe you um, will come to church expecting to hear a prophetic message or, uh, about that. Um, I, I would say a couple of things to you. Uh, for, for one thing, that's an okay desire, and uh, there's, there's plenty. I mean, the... the YouTube, internet's full of sermons if you want to hear one. I, I, I have not really studied, uh, we call it eschatology. I've not really deeply studied that in a number of years, so uh, that's part of the reason I didn't just jump up here and say, well, this is what God is doing, and let me tell you exactly what's happening in the Middle East and, and what God is about to do. And uh, You know, we preachers have gotten in trouble in the past for assuring people that this was it. This is the culmination of all things. Get your house in order. Get your, get your food in your basement and get ready. We're going through the, let's go, we're going through the tribulation right now. And, and, you know, I believe in all that. I believe Jesus is coming. And um, so I, that's the first thing. But the second thing is I, I made a decision a long time ago that I wasn't going to let the weekly headlines determine what I preach on Sunday. Because regardless of what's happening, and it is, it is important. It is important what's, what's happening in the world. It's very important. And you know I've preached about culture and all those things in the past, and I will do it again. But I really felt led over the last year. I felt led to kind of step back from the culture and get this house in order. Because regardless of what the culture does, and the, cultures, the culture has always, you know, in the first century, Paul said, do be not conformed to this world. In the first century. In the first century, Simon Peter gets up and says, save yourself from this crooked generation. In the first century. So the church has never been responsible for how bad the world is. We are responsible for producing a community of faith, and love, and purity, and holiness within these walls, and when among these people. 
And so I really felt like I need to focus my preaching these days on getting God's house in order. And that doesn't mean I won't ever preach about the world again or the, or the culture. That, that the culture is what you live in. That's the air you breathe. You're having to live out your Christianity in a foreign land, so to speak. Right? And I, I understand. So we will talk about that. In fact, even today's sermon, if you listen carefully, we will touch on how the culture affects our Christianity. And if we're not careful, we absorb the culture and it corrupts our Christianity. So we will be, we'll be touching that. But I just wanted to tell you that if you want to have a conversation about any of that stuff, I'm very accessible. You want to have a conversation. In fact, uh, I wrote an article. And uh, one of the ways, if you want to really, I, and I really believe that God has called me to be a teacher and an instructor in, in the faith, in the Word of God. So uh, there's not enough time on Sunday morning for me to even say everything that's on my heart. I, I, I'm a writer. So I write an article not every week, but uh, it's called Weekly Wisdom. And if you're not getting that, and I wrote a lengthy article about uh, the war in the Middle East, and I wrote a lengthy article about Hamas and Islam and Israel. And uh, in fact, I was very, I was very, uh, uh, I was very, um, um, gratified when I got a letter from, uh, uh, I don't know if Kenny Kruger's here. Kenny, are you here today? Uh, Kenny Kruger comes to our church. His wife, Marjorie Kruger, is Jewish. Doesn't come to our church, but I've been in their home and I've visited with her. And, and uh, she read the article and she wrote me a really nice email telling me uh, how much she appreciated it and how well researched it was, what I, what I shared. So if you, if you wonder about Islam and you wonder about Hamas and Islam, I believe that article will be helpful to you in understanding. Also, if you want to make sure you know, well, I want to know where my pastor stands. Well, read that article and you will know, okay? So let's get into the Word today. Uh, <clears throat> somebody, I got a bottle of water. Oh, here it is. It's right here. It even, it's its own special, this is its own special pastor water. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I got told this morning how expensive it is. And so, I don't waste a drop. So today, we're in our second in the series <clears throat> called Thankful. <clears throat> Naturally, this is, excuse me, <clears throat> this is a season to, to talk about Thanksgiving. Uh, but there's a lot more reasons that we want to preach it than just because it's the season. And we, we made the decision that this would be our series at this time. We made it way back in the middle of summer. So I didn't, like I said, I didn't want to suspend it, go, oh, well, something's happening in the world, I'll, I'll, I'll address that. So... Uh, I'm going to call this Dare to be Thankful today. Dare to be Thankful. Maybe you've, never, maybe you've never connected courage with thankfulness. But I, I think I, if, if I do a good job or halfway decent job, <laughs> uh, you will understand why I say that. I'm not going to ask you to suspend critical thinking. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to not, never call for positive change or justice or find a fault with anything. Uh, I am going to challenge you to overcome your fear of thankfulness and your fear of being grateful. I propose to you uh, that fear and insecurity lie at, lie at the root of ungratefulness. Mistrust is what feeds our idea of the superiority of being critical rather than thankful. Our hero today is a Samaritan healed of leprosy, along with nine other leprous men who were apparently Jewish. 
who alone return to the Lord to say thank you. Now let's read it. As Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. That's very significant. Go, show yourself to the priest. Because this is where they probably had their courage challenged for giving gratefulness to Jesus. <laughs> uh, if you know anything about the, the priest, that's the people that got Jesus put to death. Okay, So keep that, keep that in mind. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! And he fell out to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where is the other nine? No one, has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now, uh, we needed to, tell you, to, to, to look, take a look at who the Samaritans were. We won't take much time with it, but the, the Samaritans were part of the... Um, when the Israel split back in the Old Testament, there was a point where they split between the northern and southern tribes. The southern tribe of Judah and all the northern tribes. The Samaritans were part of the northern tribes. And so um, a couple of things happened. One is uh, the Assyrians came in. They intermarried with the Assyrians and other groups. And they also began to worship on a place called Mount Gerizim. And so the Jews in, um, in Judah, which included Palestine and uh, Israel. They didn't call it Palestine. It was the Romans who actually gave it the name Palestine because they wanted to dis disrespect the Jews. Palestine was connected to... See, I know some stuff about this. Uh, the, the Jews were connected... The, the, the term Palestine was connected with the word Philistine, which had been arch enemies of the Jews. So, um, uh, anyway, there was this huge tension between these two groups. And it seems so interesting to me that Jesus kept making heroes out of the Samaritans. That's really interesting. If you go through the Gospels, there's at least, I think of even off the top of my head, I can think of three times that he made a hero of the Samaritans. Um, because the Samaritans were probably more open to Jesus. So, let's also take a look at what was wrong with these guys. They had leprosy. Leprosy was a very serious condition. I'll talk a little bit about it more in the, the, more in the lesson, but if you had, in the message, but if you had leprosy, you would go around and shout, unclean. You had to live separately from everyone else. It was a, it was a contagious disease that caused a loss of sensation and uh, disfigurement of the body. Terrible disease. We don't, I don't think we have anymore. I think modern antibiotics have pretty much wiped out uh, leprosy in the western world anyway now a previous story of healing by Jesus and the reaction of the Pharisees helps us know why it took courage to go and publicly give Jesus credit for anything <laughs> why it took courage and you had to be daring to go give praise to Jesus and the story I'm talking about is over in John chapter 9 where a blind man was healed by Jesus and he went around telling everybody that this stranger had healed him. He didn't even know who it was. And when the Pharisees and the leaders of the temple found out about it, they, they went ballistic. You can't, Jesus didn't heal you. 
That's no way that this man healed you. You need to stop saying that Jesus healed you. And he was persistent. And Jesus actually went and looked him up. And gave, Jesus had a follow-up visit. And, and told him, said, you know, make sure you don't go in sin and something worse comes on you. I really care about you. See, Jesus wasn't, I'm going to talk about this later. Jesus wasn't interested in anyone's power game. He wasn't interested in anyone's political power game. He was interested. Jesus actually had pure motives. <laughs> he actually just wanted to help people. I know that's mind-boggling, that anyone could have pure motives, that anyone could actually just want to heal people. But that's, Jesus just wanted to make us all better. He came for no other reason. And so, uh, anyway, long story short, they threw this guy out of the temple and his whole family. They got dismembered from the church because they dared give glory to Jesus. So that's why I say it took courage for this guy to give glory to Jesus. Daring to be thankful is when being thankful might put you at a disadvantage, cause others to question your judgment, even your intelligence, and might reduce your power. Dare to give thanks, I say to you, even when it makes you look less intelligent and gullible. If you're thankful, sometimes you will be seen as naive, and unable to see the flaws and the problems and the dangers in, what, in any relationship. But it's not only unbiblical to avoid this thankfulness, it doesn't improve your discernment. In fact, ungratefulness corrupts your discernment and your ability to see clearly. It has imprisoned you in negativity. There are two biblical responses to worldliness, by the way. One is resistance, and we should resist worldliness. You should, you should have a fit. If you send your child to elementary school and pornography is being put in front of them, you should resist. You should resist. There's a ton of things you should resist. You should resist when your pediatrician wants to have a private meeting with your daughter to talk about birth control. You should resist. So that I believe in resistance. Let's just put that on the record, that I believe in resistance. But there's another response to worldliness, and that is modeling difference. Can I say that again? There are two responses to worldliness. One is resistance, but the other is modeling difference. And if we only model resistance, we're only doing half of what we're supposed to do, and we will corrupt that because we're only modeling resistance, and we're not modeling praise, and we're not modeling thankfulness, and we're not modeling joy. What will make you unworldly is to be happy and thankful, and grateful, and rejoicing. That is an aspect of unworldliness that we need to recover in the church, especially in serious times, especially in difficult times, especially in times that can make us grim and sad and depressed. <clears throat> I can imagine this guy going back and throwing his at the feet of Jesus and the critics standing around. Doesn't he know? Doesn't he know that guy's illegitimate? He was born illegitimately. Does he know that? 
Does he know that he hangs out with sinners? He actually goes to events where sinners are? Does this guy know that? Does he know? Does he know that this guy is a wine-bibber? Does he realize this? Doesn't he know that this guy pretends to cast out demons, but he does it by the power of the devil? He's casting out demons by the power of the devil. Now, we don't know how that works. That, I know that doesn't make sense, but that's what we hear, that he's cast out demons by the power of demons. Quite the magician, that Jesus. And, and, and by the way, if he were all that in a bag of chips, don't you think the temple leaders would have made him a part of the temple leadership? Don't you think they would have made him a part of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling religious council, if he was this great thing? They're the experts. They're the religious experts. They're the experts. They've been to law school. They've been to Harvard. They're lawyers. They were. They were lawyers. See, the religious and politicals all mixed up in those days. So they were, they were lawyers. They, they, were, they were all attorneys. Now you know the problems that Jesus had. He, he was dealing with a bunch of attorneys. <laughs> Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know that the, 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 the smart people would be lifting up Jesus if he... If, if he were valid, dude, you're not too bright to be giving him praise. Besides, did he really do anything? He just said, go show yourself the breeze. You were going to get healed anyway. <laughs> we, speak, we even speak of intelligence, you know, as critical thinking. And by now, you've all heard of critical race theory. You've all heard of critical race theory, if nothing else. It's actually a child of critical theory. Critical theory was created by the Institute for Social Research, or the Frankfurt School, back at the turn of the century, back in Frankfurt, Germany. And universities now offer critical studies in every single area. Our universities have critical legal studies, critical gender theory, critical disability studies, critical media, social, media studies, critical social theory studies, criti uh, critical theory of religion, uh, critical environmental theory, uh, critical uh, studies period, and critical queer theory. So, and some people wonder why this generation is so critical. And according to critical theory, every relationship and every interaction must be examined for who has more or less power. Nothing is to be taken at face value. It's a lens through which all relationships and interactions must be viewed through. Even if someone is nice to you, you must examine whether or not they're merely being condescending and acting superior. You're in trouble before you start. Because whatever you do is going to be critiqued. That's why they call it critical theory. It's examined for power. A considerable number of Christians, by the way, which 99% of you don't, don't know, and you're like the two kids in school. You heard it, I have to use this, I've told this before, two, two guys sitting on the front row, and they're scooted down to the fifth vertebra, looking at the ceiling, and the teacher looks at them, and says, you guys are so apathetic, and, 
and you, you couldn't even spell the word. You're so apathetic. And the voice said, yes, we don't know and we don't care. <laughs> so you don't know and you don't care. And I'm, that's fine. You don't really care that much about critical theory. But a considerable number of Christians have a mild case of critical theory. Mind, the, the critical theory mind virus. They have a mild case and they run a low-grade fever of cynical analysis fever, right? They have developed an internal dialogue that negatively critiques every established thing or person they encounter to give praise would be seen as supporting the status quo, and we must not support the status quo. We must show that we're intelligent. That's where the word woke comes from. The word woke comes from You've opened your, your intellectual eyes. Okay. <laughs> Therefore, Paul said, here's what Paul said. See, what we, what, I, I, let me just say this. I, I, I sent a bunch of you an article. It's a great article. It's kind of hard to read. It's, Dr. Truman's really tough to read. Uh, he's one of the academic guys, but uh, uh, he takes 20 pages to say what you could say in two. Uh, that's Dr. Truman. But he's smart. He's wicked smart. And, uh, and he wrote an article called Critical Grace Theory. Ah, that's what the church needs. Critical Grace Theory. Because the Bible also, the Bible does teach us to critique. But the Bible teaches us to critique and then give grace. The Bible teaches us to critique then give forgiveness. Then give true tolerance. Then give Love after we've critiqued. Amen? Come on, somebody say amen. Help me out this morning. This isn't, you're buying this, right? I hope so. Paul said, let us stop passing judgment on one another. If being a rewarder of others motivates them to do more good in the world, what is so brilliant about being a critic? Because even rats do amazing things when they're rewarded. Rats do complex things task like B.F. Skinner was the psychologist who got rats to do amazing things by giving them rewards so if being thankful is dumb God help me to be dumb so I can motivate people to do good you want to keep those BCC kids teams ministering to your kids up there while you enjoy the service thank them don't go up there and critique them you want to keep your husband cleaning the kitchen and doing loads of laundry? Thank him and don't mention that he forgot to empty the dishwasher. The best way to keep a person from ever doing anything nice for you again is to punish them after they do something good. By the way, I said, well, I'm not going to go around manipulating people. I'm just not going to manipulate. Listen, I'm going to put it, I put it in all caps. Thankfulness is not manipulation. It is the acknowledgement of another's worth in the sight of God. I'm sure Jesus responded. I, I, I can't prove it, but I know, I just know that when the guy went back to Jesus and he said, thank you, Lord, for healing me. Thank you for healing me. Jesus, I, I think Jesus had, was trained at uh, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> because you know what he said? My pleasure. <laughs> he said, and I know what else he said. I know it. You, you, you can't convince me. Don't argue with me. I, I know he said. The next thing he said was, is there anything else I can do for you? 
That's what he said. I, you know that's what he said. And imagine those nine other guys, their relationship with Jesus was over. They got healed and they went on their way. But this other guy, he probably got some more miracles. He probably got healed of something else. He might have got his relationship with his family restored. He might have got, he might have got some demon that was carrying around in his brain that was making him crazy. He might have got it cast out because he went back and gave praise to Jesus. And the, you know what the Bible says? I know you say, well, I don't want to manipulate God. Well, I do. I want to manipulate God. And the Bible says God is enthroned on the praises of his people. <laughs> it, says, it says God inhabits our praise. I want to move God to do more for me. And I want to move God to do more for this church. And I want to do, move God to do more in the world. And the Bible says that what moves him is praise. Dare to give thanks even when it feels like you're giving up some of your power. When he saw that he was healed, the Bible says, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he'd done. See, the thankful, labor, the thankful leper, ex-leper, gave all his social power to Jesus. He wasn't concerned about what everybody thought. He wasn't concerned about how they were going to socially empower him or whether they were going to invite him to their party or how invite him out for drinks. He wasn't concerned and Nicodemus, this leader at the, uh, 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 one of the temple rulers, was just the opposite. He also thought highly of Jesus, but the Bible says in John eleven forty eight, 48, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. What a coward. He had all these good things to say about Jesus, but he was like, Hey, Jesus, I know you're from God. Why wouldn't he say it in the daylight? Because he was a coward. He was a coward. He was afraid. He did not dare to give thanks to God. And that's what he, he did. So he comes privately. He says, uh, uh, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus was so gracious. I, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get ahead of myself here a minute, but I would not have done a good job of being Jesus. I would have been so bad at it. I would have just... Imagine if you knew what Jesus knew and your motives were as pure as Jesus and, and you knew everybody's secrets. You, you know that time he wrote on the ground when the, the adulterous woman? I, you, you say, I, I know what that was about too. I, 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 know, I drink coffee and know things. <laughs> and I know what he wrote on the ground was revealing their secrets that nobody knew about them. In the, because the Bible says they walked away one at a time. Ooh. <laughs> he wrote, Rebecca. Ooh, that's the woman I was with a month ago. <laughs> uh, boy. I, I, if I'd have been Jesus, though, I would have just, I would have just been lecturing people and screaming at them and calling them idiots. It, <laughs> Jesus was so gracious to Nicodemus, and he didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't do what I would do. He didn't tell him off. He didn't. Jesus was so gracious. In fact, in fact um, the thing about Jesus 
that I that I notice is is he he didn't go around he really didn't go around and try to act like everybody's boss he really didn't which is amazing to me you know we're so afraid we we fear that giving thanks to our significant other will be seen as their get out of jail free card we overvalue keeping our loved ones in pro, under probation. Ever notice that Jesus didn't go around strategizing to increase personal power? He made it clear that grasping for power was the most pagan thing a person could do. Instead, he went around stimulating people's imagination so they would visualize the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field, a, a net that was thrown into a lake that caught all kinds of fish, uh, like a little children. Yeast that a woman mixed into 60 pounds of flour. Can you just imagine as he's saying this, they're smelling beautiful smell of baked bread. Mmm, the kingdom of God is like that. Jesus said, Jesus went around saying, a king, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. In other words, payday. He wanted to have payday. Everybody's thinking, ooh, I understand payday. The kingdom of God is like that? The kingdom of God is like payday? Jesus, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hid in a field, so valuable that a man sold all he had and bought that field. The kingdom of God is like a merchant looking for fine pearls who found the pearl of great price and sold everything he have to, had to have, that, have that, that pearl. He said, the kingdom of God is like a man who scattered seeds on the ground that mysteriously comes, came up and bore fruit. He made the kingdom of God so beautiful and so winsome and so attractive. I would have been going around saying, respect me. Do what I say. I created the world. I created you. Without you, you'd be nothing. I, I know you think I'm mild and meek, but I'm really not. No, I'm a sinner just like you. It would have been a, I would have been on a huge power trip. But Jesus... The Bible says the Son of Man came not to be served. Well, well, it just makes me want to cry. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. It's the secret of the gospel. The secret of the gospel is that Jesus was so unworldly. Finally, dare to give thanks and show the courage to admit you really need others. There's a really foolhardy approach that a considerable number of Christians seem to have adopted, which is to go through life trying to prove to everyone you don't need them. Paul thought quite differently. For who makes you different from anyone else, he said. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? You haven't earned your blessings. I haven't earned my blessings. Your birth date has a lot to do with what you have when you were born in history. Your birthplace has a lot to do with what you have. You would not have what you have if you were born in sub-Saharan Africa. If you were born in Gaza, you would not have what you have. Your, this church, you ever thought about the fact this church is 64 years old, and for 64 years, for 64 years, there's been a core group of people 
who gave God a tithe, 10% of their income. That they believed that was what the word taught. And for 64 years, there's been a core group of people. It's never been the majority. It's a small minority. I remember we did an analysis of it one time, Scott. I remember you produced an analysis for me. And it's, it's, it's the 80-20 run. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad, by the way. I'm not. I am not trying to make anyone feel bad. But a handful of people are the reason this is all here. Because they faithfully tithed for 64 years. This place would not be here. Bethany Christian Academy would not be here. Compassion No England and everything that God is letting us do would not be happening if for 64 years people had not given a tithe. And some people want to argue with me. Well, tithing's not in the Scripture. It's in the Old Testament. Well, I'm glad that they didn't read that. Because it's, it's the only way the church could have done what it has done is people, including myself and my wife, including us, that put a tithe back into the church. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad unless you're ungrateful. And then I want you to feel bad <laughs> if you're not grateful for the sacrifice that people have made so this ministry in this church could even be in existence. I'm grateful. I'm very grateful. Perhaps, uh, you know, our attempt to correct historical records as we've done in our in our, in our society, in, in our schools. Perhaps it has been well-intentioned and perhaps even a good thing in some arenas, right? But we need to acknowledge that we've created an ungrateful generation. We've created an atmosphere of ungratefulness. I, I watch the videos of all the student protests around the country right now, and I've watched, we've watched this statue removal and the removal of founding fathers' names from schools and all this stuff. And I often think about it, you know what, if those founding fathers had not created this idea of freedom of speech, they wouldn't even be able to criticize them. We got to tell our younger kids how to be grateful again. And, and just because you can find something to criticize and just because you can find a flaw doesn't mean there's not more reason to be grateful. This is the story of the leper who returned to say thanks. He was saying, I'm so fortunate that out of the tens of thousands of lepers in the history of the world and at present, I was selected by this Jesus to be healed. I did absolutely nothing to earn this favor. This was a favor. I'm absolutely... I'm absolutely no one whose status calls for this kind of favor. I have no idea how I got so lucky. My health is a product of the mercy of God, not my effort. It wasn't like, boy, I really, I really yelled that out. Perfect, son of David, have mercy on me. I said that just perfect. Woo. No one's ever said it the way I said it. If they had said it the way I said it, they might have gotten healed too. I'm really something. Ungratefulness makes you sound stupid. <laughs> do, we, do we still get fined for saying stupid at BCA? We used to get fined for that, so. 
I, uh, this is the main reason. Uh, you know, in fact, let me get to this in closing. Uh, here's why this story is really put in the Bible, though. And it, this bring, let's go to the main reason. I believe God has made sure this was in the gospel because leprosy is a type of sin. Sin is like leprosy. It's contagious. It disfigures. It deforms our humanity. It leaves ugly scars. It results in a loss of sensation. That's what sin does to me and you. Like leprosy, it separates us and isolates us from other humans and from God. Leprosy serves as a powerful metaphor for our sin and the corrupting influence of sin and its isolating effects on the individual. Matthew 8, 4, a leper comes to Jesus and appeals, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The text says Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and says, I am willing to be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. You know, if I were to say in an evangelical Christian church like this one, if I were to say, I've got a new revelation. We're saved by works. Them, them, them's fighting words in a Christian church. It's no way, pastor, by grace we're saved. Well, why is our praise so lame then? If saved by grace is such a cherished concept. Why aren't we more jubilant? Why aren't we dancing in the aisles? If saved by grace, I don't necessarily mean that literally, but I guess if you want to, I'll it'll be okay. Why aren't we why isn't our praise louder? If we really believe that we didn't deserve to be saved, if we really believe there was a heaven and a hell, and we were bound for hell, but because Jesus came and, and, and God came in the form of flesh in the Son of God and, and bore our sins on the cross so that we, our, our appointment with hell got canceled and our reservation with heaven got made, why aren't we more excited? Why isn't every Sunday morning a, a praise party? Why, why are you so cool? <laughs> do you ever brag to Jesus to any of your friends? Some of you do. I know you do. Your relatives, your friends, your, your neighbors. Have you ever become, have you, have you become so obsessed with what's wrong with America that you can't even find it in your emotional repertoire to rejoice over your own redemption? I don't regret my deep dive into culture shift, especially uh, I, I wrote a paper three years ago for a group that has used that content of that paper. It was going to be five pages, it ended up being 55, about culture shift. I took a deep dive into it. What happened to Western civilization that we would glom onto these weird ideologies that bring bondage, destruction, and poverty? But I've had to look away from that for now because I nearly lost the joy of my salvation. I studied, I went deep into the transgender movement and its huge uh, financial empire that's behind it. it. It's dark. And I don't even recommend you go read all that stuff. Not that it's not important, it is important. We shouldn't be naive Christians and naive people. 
but this world is not my home. I am looking for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. We used to sing a song that says, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and so free. We're probably not going to rescue that song from the dustpin of Christian worship history, (laughs) but it's imperative that we dig out that value that is expressed in that song. And once again, be people who are known for being thankful. Tears ran down my face yesterday morning when I ran across an article by Ayan Hirsi Ali, a former Muslim who's been speaking out on uh, freedom and women's rights issues. And please don't come and inform me that she's not the correct kind of Christian. Just please. Just, just hold that thought. Okay. Don't mention her. She's not the right kind of Christian. I don't know. Paul, Paul's response to preachers of Christ who represented him poorly was, was, Christ is being preached, and I glory that Christ is being preached. Okay? But Ian I, has been a hero of mine since I first listened to her three or four or five years ago. She is now a, a brand new Christian. And this is how she closed her recent article. The lesson I learned from my years with the Muslim Brotherhood was the power of a unifying story embedded in the foundational text of Islam to attract, engage, and mobilize the Muslim masses. Unless we offer something as meaningful I fear the erosion of our civilization will continue. Fortunately, there is no need to look for some new age concoction of medication and mindfulness. Christianity has it all. (laughs) I just, it, it, it even moves me now when I read her words. Do you believe Christianity has it all? Do you believe it? I tell you what I want you to do. I want everybody to stand all over the building. Please stand. I want you. I want those of you who've never decided to be a Christian. I want you to think about it for the next few seconds. And I'm going to ask the prayer partners to get in their place right now. And in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I want you to come down to these prayer partners and you say, well, I made up my mind today. I'm going to be a Christ follower. I'm going to give myself over to Christianity. I'm going to begin to be a follower of Christ. I've never made that profession of faith. Maybe you believe it in your heart. But the Bible says, with with the heart man believes. Now listen to me. Listen carefully, please. The Bible says, with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made in the salvation. So you need to confess that to, an in, to another person. Now, I know you can do it. Let me get correct there. You can do it all by yourself. I, sure, of course that. But I do believe there would be great power if you would come and you would confess to one of these prayer partners. I have decided to follow Jesus. That's all you got to say. I've decided to be a Christian. Pray for me. Now, some of you are going to come with other needs as well. So you'll all come at the same time. So no one's going to single you out. And they're going to know, well, there goes a sinner. 
<laughs> no one's going to even know. Uh, but here's what I want you to do right now, all of us. I want us to think of three things we're thankful for and make one of them a person that you're thankful for and make it somebody you wouldn't normally mention. I mean, you, you thank God for your little Johnny every day since he's been born. So, you know, yeah, you're thankful for Johnny. But make it somebody you might not normally. So three things. And I'm going to ask you to, the universal sign of praise and surrender is to raise your hands. I'm going to ask you in a second, raise your hands, and I want you to blurt out to God three things that you're thankful for and say, thank you, Lord, for that. Can we do that? Let's lift our hands. Let's do it. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this congregation that has meant so much to me. God, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. God, I thank you for touching my body and giving me health today. I thank you. I thank you for sending Jesus to the cross and assuring me that no matter what comes, hell or hot water, I am saved and covered with the blood of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I want you to come down. If you need prayer for anything in your life, the prayer partners are here. If you want to make that decision to follow Christ, come on down right now. Come quickly. If you need prayer for anything in your life, we believe the power of prayer is available, and we want to be thankful to these beautiful prayer partners for being available. Would you come? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're so good. Let's just, let's just give him some worship, just in your own way, however you do it, quietly, loudly, I don't care. Hands raised, hands down, I don't care. Just have a quiet time with Jesus right now, right where you stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this house. Thank you for these wonderful people. Lord Jesus, thank you for the people who put up with me and let me go on and on for 30, 40 minutes every Sunday. I appreciate them, God. I'm grateful to them, God. I'm grateful for this opportunity. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful. Lord, I'm so grateful for all the workers, Lord. I'm grateful for those children's workers up there that are up there taking care of our kids and ministering to our kids so we can have this quiet time with you, Lord. I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, for the hospitality team that welcomes everybody in here on Sunday. Lord, I'm grateful. I'm grateful, Lord Jesus. I'm grateful that in spite of our, in, in our problems as a country, in spite of, of how rocky the last decade has been, God, uh, somehow our freedom to worship has, has continued. Uh, even our freedom to educate our children, our freedom, our freedom to preach uh, any message we feel led to preach is still, is still in place, God. And I thank you for that. God, I just give you praise. And Father, thank you for Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. God bless you. The, the uh, altars will remain open if you want to come forward for prayer after you're dismissed. But thank you for being so attentive to the Word of God today. I really appreciate it. And if you're a visitor, uh, 
please, uh, please, I'd love to, I'd love to meet you, shake your hand, and and uh, and see how I can minister to you further. So God bless you.